Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. My name is Jordan Upton, and I'm the Director of Broadcast and Media Outreach here at First Baptist. With me, as always, is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jordan. How are you? I'm it is it's, it's chilly outside, and... Christmas is coming, and so it's supposed to be chilly outside, and things are going well. Yeah, yeah. So Sunday was the Advent of Peace, and the scripture we looked at was Philippians 4, 4-7. through Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding— will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in this passage, Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everybody. What does Christian reasonableness look like today? Well, first of all, I have to say that I miss, like I get hung on that word every time I'm reading it. Uh, so like when I was preaching, it's just, I'm, I'm focusing, say the word, yeah. slow down. So <laughs> let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And and the word can also be translated gentleness. That may be uh, in the footnote of your Bible, or if you're reading in the NIV, it's literally translated gentleness there. So the actual meaning of the word uh, is apiakis, and it means gentle, mild, forbearing, fair, reasonable, or moderate. Uh, it means to be seemly or suitable or equitable and fair and mild and gentle. Uh, Strong's exhaustive concordance would say that it means to be gentle, to, to express moderation, to be patient. And so the idea here is this. We live in a world that is frantic and frenzied. And if you don't believe me, just open up Twitter. And I mean, it's like a constant feeding frenzy. If you've ever watched Shark Week on the Discovery Channel, yep. you know what it's like when you see the sharks gather around and it's like they stop thinking and they just start going at the food source. And I think our society has become increasingly frenzied and frantic. And so as soon as there's an opportunity to just go at something or someone, it's like we turn our brains off and just do that thing. We join in the mob crowd, the mob mentality, and and we go after whatever's there. And God calls us to live differently. He calls his people not to be the sort of people who react instead of respond. He calls us not to be the sort of people who join in the mob mentality without thinking through what's going on, without being fair, without being equitable, without um, being reasonable in our response to what's going on, and even following the example of our Lord who would say in the Sermon on the Mount, turn to them the other cheek. Um, so I think that we have to be the sort of people, and this can only happen empowered by the Holy Spirit, that don't join in the frenzy, but rather seek to understand the perspective of the other person and seek to be patient with them just as God is patient with us and seek to, to fully understand their perspective before we just launch into some sort of attack. Um, so as we rejoice in the Lord, as we rest in his grace that is with us always, um, then we can be reasonable with anybody. Now, does that mean we agree with everybody? Absolutely not. Jesus didn't agree with everybody. But if you look at Jesus' interactions with people, to me, that's the model. 
Jesus was reasonable in his interactions with everyone, and and quite frankly, the only people that that he seemed to express righteous indignation toward uh, were the religious leaders who were, frankly, making people twice the sons of hell by making them believe they were in when truly uh, they were just trying to conform people to their personal standards. Yeah, it reminds me of another passage that Paul wrote in Romans 12, 18, where he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's right. So Paul Paul writes to the church at Rome, insofar as it depends on you. Mm-hmm. There's some things that don't depend on us. There, there's some things we can't do anything about. But there's a lot that really does depend upon us and the way that we respond to a person, to a situation, the way that we respond to a text message, an email, a phone call. Um and, and if you're out shopping right now, you know that people are on edge, um, constantly on edge. And so we get to, to be the sort of people who usher in peace in the midst of the chaos. Yeah, so our passage in Philippians uh, also talks about the peace that passes all understanding. So you quoted on Sunday Isaiah 26.3, which says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So it sounds like the way to be at peace is simply to keep our minds on God, but that's easier said than done. So much so. Yeah. How do we get to the point where the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds in Jesus Christ? So frankly, from a purely pragmatic perspective in my life, uh, repetition, Hmm. repetition, repetition, Um, you just continue returning to the Lord and you're going to fail. I fail daily, multiple times daily. Um, in resting in the peace of Almighty God, but it's just continually going back to God and saying, Lord, my perspective has drifted. My eyes have drifted away from you. I want to look to you again. Now, I think some things help. I think being involved in spiritual disciplines help. I think reading your Bible every single day is undeniably helpful in this effort because, you know, for me, um, the first thing I do, frankly, when I'm when I'm on my way to the gym, I'm listening to the Bible reading every single day. That's the first thing I do. Um, it sets the tone for the day. It, 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 it instills God's truth in my mind first, um, and that helps. Is it perfect? No. Do I still sometimes let my mind wander? Do I still sometimes let my eyes drift away from Jesus? Yes. Do I pay the price for that every time? Yes. Um, but I think that that it's just this constant repetition of coming back to the Lord. Lord, help. And, and I, I say that, I really do pray that prayer a lot because God, God is intimately aware of what's going on in my life. He knows my thoughts. He knows my words, my deeds. Um, he knows everything there is to know about me. In fact, he knows more about me than I know about myself because I could not tell you how many hairs are on my head, but God knows that information. Hmm. So it's just a constant return to say, Lord, I am not uh, seeing this from your perspective, I am not seeing this in in light of your presence, and I'm not looking at this um, recognizing that you are the sovereign God over all, and it will work out. Um, you've shown me a thousand times that you work all things together for good to those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. You've given me that in your word in Romans eight twenty eight, but you've also shown me that in my life over and over again. And so, Lord, forgive me for forgetting and put me back on the path um, to dwelling in your peace. And, and I think that's it. Um, there's no, in fact, I was thinking about this question um, while I was running this morning. There, there's no magic bullet answer of, oh, I've arrived. 
and I'm just dwelling in peace. As long as we live in a sin-fallen world, that peace is going to be uh, taken away from us constantly um, by by scavengers that just want to come, and, and they're not at peace, so they don't want us to be at peace. And so, again, we just constantly have to return to God. And it truly is in my, in my mind and in my life um, the repetition of returning to the Lord, returning to the Lord, returning to the Lord. That's not, <laughs> that's not something you do at church on Sunday. That's something you do multiple times throughout the day. Return to the Lord and dwell in His peace. Thanks, Jeff. That was eminently practical, as always. And uh, now that we've been practical, I want to ask a more uh, theological question for you. Here we go. So I have a Christmas question from Isaiah. So in Isaiah 7, the prophet Isaiah is rebuking a king of Judah for not turning to God for victory. But then the rebuke gets really Christmassy all of a sudden. So Isaiah... (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah. So Isaiah says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So in the New Testament, Matthew connects this prophecy with Jesus. After the angel tells Joseph about Jesus, Matthew 1, 22 through 23 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what's what's going on here? What's going on in Isaiah, and why is that tied to Jesus several centuries afterward? Well, that's a really good question, and it's a really important question as we seek to understand God's Word, because um, so often in the Old Testament, what you have is God speaking prophetically about something that is now and something that is not yet, and that's what's going on here. So, um, yes, Isaiah is speaking as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, a rebuke to Ahaz, um, talking about what is imminent in their time. But he's also talking about something that's going to happen seven centuries later. Ray Ortland, in his book, Isaiah, The Lord Saves Sinners, it's actually a commentary and it's a really good one. He says this about Isaiah 7.14, the verse you're referencing. He says, this is one of the outstanding verses of the Bible. But it isn't easy to understand. The problem is this. The New Testament says that this promise was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus centuries later. But the context in Isaiah links it to Isaiah's own day. When was God's promise fulfilled? There's more to Isaiah 7.14 than first meets the eye. The prophecy came true not in one, but in two ways. First, it predicted the birth of Maher Shalal Hashbaz, Isaiah's own son. We read in Isaiah 8, 1 through 4, that this boy's birth was tied to the fall of the Syro-Ephraimite alliance. The parallel of Isaiah 8, 4 with 7, 16 is unmistakable. The child's strange name means something like, the spoil speeds, the prey hastens, as the margin of your Bible may inform you. That message was as ominous as it sounds. Was God present with his people in their emergency? Yes, to fast forward the undoing of the Syro-Ephraimite alliance. The message of Maher Shalal Hashbaz's young life was Emmanuel, God with us. The enemy forces are doomed because God is with his people. But secondly, Isaiah 7.14 prefigured the birth of Jesus Christ, and I'll end the quote there. So what Ortland is explaining and what we have to see here is that yes, God is speaking through the prophet about God's intervention, because he's with his people, God's intervention to bring down the Syro-Ephraimite alliance. 
And it's going to come through the birth of Isaiah's own son, whose name is specific um, in talking about how God will judge the Syro-Ephraimite alliance and, and save his people because he's with his people. But we also know that Matthew, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, references this verse in saying that this is about Jesus. Well, which is it? Was it Meher Shalal Hashbaz or was it Jesus Christ? Well, it was Jesus Christ. And I just have to say, Jesus' name actually has deep meaning too. It means Yahweh saves. I'm glad it's not Meher Shalal Hashbaz because that's a mouthful. Nevertheless, how do we know that we can look to Isaiah 714 and say this has a now and not yet interpretation and that both are accurate? Well, We do that because we see in Isaiah chapter 8 the bringing about of Isaiah's son, which was part of God's prophecy to Ahaz at that time about the Syro-Ephraimite alliance. And we have Matthew, who is carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying this, Jesus, is the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. So God tells us that this is a right now and not yet prophecy. Now, there are some in the Bible that... We don't have New Testament corroboration that that's what's going on. If you think, for example, about the passages that reference the fall of Satan, Mm -hmm. uh, Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, both of those have been treated by theologians over the years as passages that speak both in a right now situation, prophetically to the king of Babylon and the prince of Tyre, but also that they speak about the fall of Satan. Um, We don't have any New Testament corroboration of that, so we've got to be careful to say this is a right now and not yet or already has been um, sort of of prophecy. We've got to be more careful there. With Isaiah 7.14, God makes it abundantly clear, straightforwardly clear, by telling us through the pen of Matthew that this is exactly what this is. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you that it it's, works out nicely that uh, it's not by one name that we're saved, Mahershala Hasbaz, that's, uh, that does work out. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, in thinking of that, there was another passage that came to mind, uh, Hosea 11.1, where Hosea says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Yep. And then Matthew picks that right up in, uh, in telling the story of uh, Jesus having to go down to Egypt to be saved from Herod. Uh, And he says, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, you know, the first time it's talking about Israel, this time it's talking about Jesus. There's these deep connections in there, and you get more meaning out of it, um, you know, thinking about both, and then like, how does this one apply to Jesus? And a lot of people think that Matthew's gospel was written specifically with uh, a Jewish audience in mind and Jewish exegesis in mind, and uh, these um, passages that he's putting together like this come off in a very Jewish way, um, connecting things or words or prophecies that have just a word or several words in common, but give what Matthew's talking about so much more meaning with the Old Testament passages that are are connected to it, even though they are initially talking about something else, but have this prophetic meaning that's also going to come to pass. That's exactly right. So that takes us into our listener question for today. Listeners, if you have a question, just go to the link in the description or comment on the post below. So Jeff, what is your favorite Christmas song 
and why. Oh my goodness. So I'm so terrible at what is your favorite yeah, sort yeah, of questions yeah. because I have so many favorites. Because as soon as I say something, I'm like, well, this is my favorite. Oh, but wait, this one is my favorite. This one. So, so <laughs> in preparation for this question, I have isolated three. Okay. And as soon as we stop recording, I'm going to be mad that I left something out. So I'm going to give you all three yep. um, from different perspectives, really. Um, number one, I love Silent Night. Um, I love Silent Night uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it's just one of those carols that you learn early on. Uh, I can remember singing Silent Night um, as a kid in church. I remember singing it in specials and all those sorts of things. But the year that we celebrated our bicentennial here at First Baptist Church, 2018, because we were founded in 1818, I learned another significant piece of history, and that is that Silent Night was actually written on Christmas Eve 1818. I'll spare you the story, but the coolest thing in the world was at our Christmas Eve service that year, we got to sing a 200-year-old song as part of a 200-year-old church, and I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So, it really was. So, so yeah. there's, the, there's the nerdy side of me, okay? Um, from a, a purely theological standpoint, I absolutely love Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, and and I, I mispronounced it for many years. It's not hark, the herald angels sing. It's, no, it's, it's hark, the herald angels sing. So the angels are heralding this truth, and there's so much rich theology here. The hymn was actually written by Charles Wesley and then altered by George Whitfield. So you go back in, in evangelical church history, you don't get much bigger names than that. Yeah. But, but, but just listen to the, the richness of this, this lyric. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful, all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. So what they're capturing is the glory of the incarnation. But, but listen to this. This is just, oh, I love this so much. Um, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Oh, I'm getting I'm getting goosebumps right now. Listen mm. to this. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. And and so what you have is this statement of the incarnation that God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, born through the womb of the Virgin Mary. It is the most astonishing truth in all of human history that God has come to us. It is beautiful, and, and it just, as I said, even reading the lyrics, I get goosebumps. Um, and then the third one I'll say is, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. And quite frankly, uh, Casting Crowns put out a Christmas album several years ago that is traditional for us to listen to in my truck this time of year. Uh, and their rendition of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's poem that he wrote uh, as he was caring for his son after he had lost his wife, um, and, and just the emotional rawness of that song. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play in mild and sweet. The songs repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then he says, but I don't feel that way. In despair, he said, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, 
goodwill to men. And, and he's writing this right in the middle of the Civil War with a son who is fighting for his life because of the Civil War. And he's being honest. And so often I think we are not honest in our faith. We got to be able to say when it hurts and when it doesn't seem like God's around and when it, it doesn't seem like, you know, though the song says peace, there is no peace. But then, and again, I'm getting goosebumps again. The next verse, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. And so it's this reminder that though it's hard, and though I don't see God in this moment, and though I don't sense God in this moment, God is with us nonetheless. He will prevail. All who are in him will ultimately be vindicated, and it will all be okay. Now, you know, there are others. God rest you, merry gentlemen. Oh, I love that one. Oh, yeah. um, but there. So what about you? What's your favorite? I think that one of my favorites goes along with what you were talking about with I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, and that's Breath of Heaven by Amy Grant. Yeah. Yeah. It's a newer one, you know, but it's it's just so uh, emotional and raw, kind of takes you in the moment. Uh, and then she has this verse where it's, help me be strong, help me be, help me, which reminds wow. me of the prayer that, you know, you, you tell yeah. us to pray. Um, it's just, it, you know, you just, you just hear that and you, you feel that deep down, you know, we're, none of us is the virgin carrying the, you know, our, our incarnate Lord, but you just feel that moment of desperation and wanting to do the right thing, but utterly relying upon God's provision in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I think the, the other one I would throw in there too is, uh, Michael W. Smith, welcome to our world. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, just, again, very emotional lyrics talking about, you know, wishing we had known he was coming, mm. you know, and the uh, just the details he uses to describe the baby Jesus and, you know, how important he was going to be uh, just just moves me. And then, uh, uh, not to leave Elliot out of the conversation, I was talking to Elliot earlier, and he was telling me how emotional he gets with Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. <laughs> Every time he hears it, he tears up. <laughs> I have that one on my phone. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not to leave Elliot out. Oh, my goodness. So, Jeff, thank you for your answers to these questions, both practical and theological. Um, can you take us through and pray us out? Yeah, and, and again, I just want to say as we navigate Advent, um, this, is, this is one of my favorite times of the year because it, it calls us to remember the greatest truth that God has come to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ has come, Christ has lived, Christ has died, Christ has risen again. Uh, you don't have Easter if you don't have Christmas. And I'm so thankful for Christmas. And And I would just want to encourage anybody who's listening to this, um, if you are able, come and experience these things in person. Um, we absolutely love worshiping virtually with folks. But particularly at the Christmas season, there's something about being in the room that has been so beautifully decorated and, and seeing the Advent wreath and hearing the songs and, and just seeing God at work. Um, so if you can make it, come down and worship with us in person any Sunday morning, or uh, we've got our choir special coming up on December the 11th. You may be listening to this past then, but nevertheless, we would love for you to come December the 11th at 6 p.m. for our choir and orchestra special, um, and then on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day as well. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for the singular truth that Christ has come, and because Christ has come, we have hope and we have peace. Lord, help us to relentlessly return to you. The world is trying to pull us away from you in every moment and to pull our attention away from you constantly. 
And Lord, sometimes we fail. Sometimes we, we let them pull our attention away. But Lord, help us to return to you and to say, Lord, fix my focus on you so that I might dwell in your peace. Father, we love you. We trust you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley.